Good morning, Groton Bible Chapel. Welcome. Pretty cool. Good to see your faces. Good to see you. This is uh, the first Sunday in a while where, for, for some of you, I, I don't have to read your eyes. Um, though a lot of us have gotten very good at that over the past year. You have had to do everything with your eyes, and it's been, it's, it's been interesting. But whether you're here, whether you're at home, we're glad you're with us this morning. I am going to uh, jump right in to John chapter 15 this morning. Um, we're at the very end of John 15. This is the gospel of John. This is the life and teaching of Jesus. And we're encountering some intimate moments Jesus has with his disciples towards the very end of his ministry. And so John 15, I'm going to turn there. You can turn there as well. I'm going to offer some explanatory notes along the way. And then um, we'll... We'll, we'll kind of dive into the, uh, the, uh, the uh, meat of the sermon after the fact. So brace yourself. It's a little bit more text than we're used to, but that's okay. You can handle it. And so we're in John 15, verse 26. And again, I'm going to pause kind of throughout as I read and off, offer some notes. Um, verse 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. Remember last week, Jesus had some hard things to say. He said, you're going to be in the world. The world's not going to like you. The world's going to hate you. If you're of the world, they are going to like you. If you're not of the world, the world's going to hate you. And so he's offering some encouragement that while he's leaving, the Spirit is coming. Some of you get to that Holy Spirit stuff, and it, and it weirds you out a little bit, or maybe you're a little unfamiliar. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it later, but just to clarify, we believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. That's kind of weird. One what, three who's. The Father sends, the Son does, the Spirit applies. You think about the redemptive story. The Father sends the Son, the Son does the work of redemption, the Holy Spirit applies that work of redemption to the heart, transformation, life. Those are, the, those are the roles. And so we can say for eternity that love has always existed, that relationship has always existed because God in three persons, one substance, united in will, has existed in three persons. That's the Trinity. That's the Trinity in 30 seconds. Okay, keep going. Chapter 16. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. Jesus went and, and agitated. He uh, upset some of the religious leaders. They didn't like what he had to say, and his followers are going to get the same treatment. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told this to you. Interestingly enough, Jesus is telling them, bad stuff's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And when it happens, you'll be able to trust in me all the more because I'm telling you in advance. But nonetheless, God is still in control. Verse 5, but now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, yeah, duh, Jesus, you're leaving. Some of you might be filled with sorrow too. You just watched a guy for three years raise up dead people, lame people, walking, blind people, seeing. He's walking across the water, and he's leaving. 
I don't blame them. We'd probably feel the same. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're going to spend more time on this later. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Some translations say, stands condemned. Verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. Again, going back to this idea of the Trinity. The Father sends the Son, proceeds from the Father. The Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Father. The Spirit is sent to apply what the Son does. Verse 14. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is he telling us? A little while and you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they said, what is he saying a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, you will see me. You notice a lot of repetition. He's trying to make sure you remember what they're asking over and over and over. Hopefully it doesn't confuse you more. Verse 20, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor... She has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. By the way, Johnny Gies, Katie Gies, uh, Gies, they posted on Facebook, so I assume it's public. Their baby came, our worship pastor. Very excited. Um, that's cool if, if, if you're at home. Congrats. Verse 23, In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Bam! It's almost a whole chapter of scripture. Read. If you didn't read any of your Bible this week, you just heard a whole chapter. Go home, read more. I'm going to pray. Dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to be here, to look at your word together. God, we ask that you would help us to think deeply, Lord, about what it is that you say about your spirit. Lord, convict our hearts as, as we read about the Spirit that convicts. Guide us as we hear about the Spirit that guides. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us, Lord. Draw us closer unto you with this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why do Westerners struggle so much with the spiritual? Think about it. Now, yeah, I get it. There's this new agey kind of subculture that exists that, that does spiritualness, but without authority. How convenient, right? You still get to do whatever you want, but call yourself spiritual. There's that. But for the most part, in the, in the Western context, we have people who are just really struggle with, that, with this idea of spirit. And even in the Western church, you go in, and people just don't talk about the Holy Spirit all that much. Where, where does that come from? Why is it that that is so much the case? 
I have two ideas really quickly. Assumptions that I feel like have crept into our culture over the last several hundred years that perhaps have informed or shaped the way that you think of God and the Spirit and the church, but maybe you've never actually considered or thought about. The first one is this thing called naturalism. Naturalism is the doctrine that scientific laws are adequate to account for all phenomena. Now, science isn't a bad thing. But when the scientific method came about and we began to figure out, wow, we can explain away certain things by making repeated observations of what happens in the world controlling the variables. As we started to do that, this thing crept in where we started to think, we can do that to everything. The second one is called scientism. Scientism is the doctrine that science is the best or only objective means for determining what is true. Now hear this. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, the great majority of Christians have nothing against science. However, we do have a lot against scientism. And the irony with both of these, naturalism and scientism, the irony is that you actually can't prove either of them scientifically. They are both philosophical statements. If you want to read about them, you have to go to journals of philosophy. I had to go to the Stanford Philosophical uh, a Dictionary of Philosophy to get at these. They are assumptions that we make based on faith that we cannot prove, that we bring into our worldview. Now, why do I start there? Because Jesus is about to talk about the Holy Spirit. And as Christians in the church who believe in a God, three persons, the sent Holy Spirit that, that does a work in our life and through our life, as we talk about this, we have to acknowledge the lens that perhaps may have blurred our perception of the Spirit a little bit. And I want to cast these things off to the side. So just be cognizant of that. Naturalism, scientism, philosophical statements, unable to prove. Second thing I want to mention before we dive specifically into the text is that the followers of Jesus are sad. They're upset. They're not looking forward to his absence. And what they don't get is what's coming. The idea being that the location of the temple is changing. I want to front load us with this. If you go back to the Old Testament, or the First Testament, as some of you might call it, you go back to, to, to that, when God brings the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, he gives them this thing called the tabernacle. And you have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the presence of God that went with his people. And eventually, they went into the Promised Land. They built a temple, and within the Holy of Holies, you had the presence of God. And where you had the presence of God, you had the power of God. And then you get to the Gospel of John, and, and John actually says in John 1 that, that Jesus was God tabernacling amongst his people. And you get this picture of the presence and power of God in a person, fully God, fully man, in Jesus. And it's lived out with all of the signs and the miracles that he does. And so you have tabernacle, temple, Jesus, and then Jesus is leaving. No wonder they're freaking out. But what Jesus is pointing to is that while he is leaving, the presence of God is not because the location of the temple is changing. It's going to become the human person. God goes from being for his people to with his people to within his people. 
That's the encouragement. That's, that's the phrasing that our missionary friend used several weeks back, and I really, really like it. From for to with to within. And whereas Jesus was limited by where he could physically be as a physical person, that multiplies as the Holy Spirit begins to pierce the hearts of hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of people. They didn't get it. And so with that in mind, today specifically, we're talking about three things that the Spirit's gonna do. These are not the, I'll put this, these are not the sexy roles of the Spirit. These are not the ones that people get all really like excited about or freaked out about. We're not talking about prophecy. We're not talking about tongues. We're not talking about, in fact, you, you want to look at that stuff. We did a sermon series a couple summers ago. You can go take a look at what the church has to say about that. But nonetheless, we're talking about very important roles of the Spirit in the life of the believer day in and day out. And the reason Jesus puts this out there is because up until this point, he's done much of this. And as he leaves, he wants the disciples to know that the Spirit will continue. John 15, 26, 27, he says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify about me. You also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. Point one, the Spirit will testify. One, the Spirit testifies to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Focus on that last section real quick. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans, I don't do good. No one does good. Not even one. No one wants to do good. That the heart that is in rebellion against God, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit bringing in life and transformation that that changes. And the Spirit is what will bear witness to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. But the Spirit doesn't just uh, testify to you, but through you. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That while Jesus is leaving, you are not alone. Because as you go out in the world and as the Spirit testifies to you and reinforces to you who Jesus is, that as we go out into the world that we are the temple, the Spirit convicts our heart but also moves through our hearts testifying to others. And when people see us, that our lives would bear witness to Jesus. We are the mechanism by which the Spirit testifies to other people. And for a lot of us, the problem is, gosh, we just overthink it. You talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling someone and then testifying through that person to the world to who Jesus is. The problem with so many of us, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say in the West, is that we just overthink it and we spend a lot of time getting in the way. It doesn't take a lot of planning it doesn't take a lot of answers. It doesn't take a lot of research for a friend to share good news with you and for you to respond with, praise Jesus. You don't have to have 
all of the answers to all of the difficult questions to testify to the goodness of God in the presence of others. You don't. You just got to get out of the way. When someone is going through a difficult time, when someone is mourning, when someone is grieving, to meet that person where they are, to pray with them, even if they're not a believer, to pray to Jesus with that person, to testify to the power and the sovereignty of God in the midst of those moments. It doesn't take a lot of planning. It doesn't take a lot of answers. It just means us getting out of the way and letting the Spirit testify through us. That's one. The Spirit testifies. We are the temple. John 16, 7 through 11. We're skipping ahead because we're going to the next section where he's talking to his disciples about what the Spirit's going to do. It says, verse 7, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment, about sin, because they do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me and about judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. Second role of the Spirit that Jesus is talking about here is that the Spirit will convict. One, the Spirit will convict concerning sin. Found a quote, D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar. He writes, Arguably, in every instance, the verb has to do with showing someone his sin, usually as a summons to repentance. This idea of what, what, what they're getting at with this idea of, of, of conviction. Now with each of these things, you get in the heads of the disciples. Jesus is leaving. You can imagine in their heads the questions that they're asking. They've seen Jesus do signs and miracles that have testified to who he is. And he's saying, I'm leaving, but the Spirit's going to testify. They've seen Jesus encounter people in their mess, in their brokenness, in their sins, in the things they've done, but in the things that have been done to them at the same time, encounter them. They've seen Jesus confront the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. They've seen Jesus encounter spiritual darkness and win. And so with all of the things they've seen Jesus do, he's, he's reinforcing, he's connecting with them the fact that, hey, just because I'm gone doesn't mean that that stops because the Holy Spirit in you will continue to do all of these things. The Spirit will convict concerning sin. Well, we see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? We see him do that. In John 4, he goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. You may not think of that as being a conversation in which someone's being convicted of sin, but they're having this chat. This woman who's at the well because she was cast out because she had made a lot of poor mistakes. She had been with a lot of different men. She could not have community with the other women and, and, uh, 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 of that community. She was cast out because of those decisions. And in this conversation with Jesus, what do we see? He says her story to her. You've been married five times, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. But what does he do? He, he offers her living water. Jesus' presence meets people, and there's a conviction of sin, and she leaves changed. Not everyone who encounters Jesus does that, though. We have a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he says, I want to follow you. What, I got, what do I got to give up? He says, you got to sell your stuff, and he's like, no, thank you. 
He'd rather have his stuff than God. And Jesus lets him walk away. And so even in the life of Jesus, we see people meet Jesus and be convicted of their sin. We see people meet Jesus and not. And Jesus is telling his disciples that through you, this is going to be your encounter moving forward, that the Spirit will come and the Spirit will convict of sin. That means that for me as a believer, as I spend time in the Word, as I spend time in worship, as I spend time in prayer, that the Holy Spirit to me is going to convict me of some stuff that may need to change. But it's also going to use me to bring that kind of conviction into the lives of others. And here's the challenge, Christians. Here's the challenge. To do it with the kind of grace and love that Jesus did. Some of us are really, really good at convicting other people. Quickly righteously elevating ourselves not really after the their restoration but after proving that we're better than them that's not the point the holy spirit will come it will convict of sin two it will also convict concerning righteousness we see jesus do this Now, when it says convict concerning righteousness, it's talking about self-righteousness. It's talking about the idea, the bad kind of righteousness. And Isaiah, Isaiah writes that that our righteous works are like filthy rags, menstrual rags. The language there is kind of graphic and uncomfortable. And this is the kind of righteousness that he's talking about, that the Spirit will come, and the people who think that they are all that in a bag of chips— The people who think that their holy living on display to the world is what's going to earn them favor before God, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, is going to convict you of that. Matthew and, or Jesus in Matthew 23 tells a group of religious leaders, you were like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. You've been around a church long enough, this becomes the temptation of our hearts when we're not seeing and, and aiming the, our, our, our affections towards God, when it becomes about the ritual, when it comes about the ceremony, when it comes about just showing up, wearing the right stuff, using the right words. If you're going to sin, <clears throat> if you're going to mess up, just make sure it's hidden really, really well. And then it's okay. We'll take you. Whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, full of death on the inside. The Holy Spirit is going to come and to us will convict us of that righteousness. God wants a repentant heart and then use us to minister to others. I'll tell you, someone told me long ago when I was about to get married that marriage will be a lot like putting a mirror in my face that constantly reminds me how selfish I am. For some of you, it's not a spouse for... Some of you, it's a, it's a roommate, sister, friend, a mother-in-law. Just, just kidding. My mother-in-law is awesome. My mother-in-law is awesome. I'll throw that in there. All right. Holy Spirit will work a lot through a mother-in-law and a, and a spouse, I'll tell you. Um, that's what the Holy Spirit does. How will you respond when the Holy Spirit works in that way? Finally, third point. Third subpoint: the Holy Spirit will convict concerning judgment, specifically of the evil one who will stand condemned. 1 John 3, 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works, not to coexist, not to just push him off into a corner, to destroy. 1 John 2.14, I have written to you children because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. Jesus came to destroy the enemy. The Holy Spirit that indwells empowers us to overcome, to conquer the enemy. And in Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't read this in a while, I encourage you, Paul actually lays out the armor of God to this end. This is where, this is where the whole Western thing comes in in a really, really big way, that we don't think about things in, ter- in spiritual terms. Everything is very naturalistic. We don't think about spiritual warfare. We don't think about spiritual batters, battles. We don't think about the importance of prayer, that what prayer accomplishes power in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit within us, that there really is spiritual darkness in the world. There really is an enemy in the world, and he's after you, and he wants to do terrible things to you, to your family. He wants to make good things that God created feel like the greatest things that are worthy of your worship in order to distract you and yank your affections away from God. And Paul tells his people, Put on your armor, because life is a battle, and it's real. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read it towards the end, though. Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit. How many of you go into battle without your sword? When Jesus was tempted in the desert before his ministry began, every time the enemy threw a temptation at him, You know what he hit him back with? Scripture. Deuteronomy. Every single time. Kind of neat that we're preaching through Deuteronomy next year. Hey. Devil comes at you, you'll be ready just like Jesus. Just saying. The Spirit will convict concerning judgment. And we need to walk in the victory that Jesus accomplishes for us. Finally, last section about what the Spirit will do. John 16, 12 to 15. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Point number three, the Spirit will guide in truth. Specifically, the Holy Spirit will teach you to live in light of who Jesus says he is. The Holy Spirit will teach you to live in light of who Jesus says he is. Our culture has a lot to say about truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Just find your truth. Just speak your truth. I really hope that the people designing submarines all agree on what truth is. Just because if they disagree, we got to have interesting conversations. Sailors won't be all that happy. But the Holy Spirit will teach you to live in light of who Jesus 
says he is, meaning that if Jesus is God, that if Jesus died for your sins on the cross, if Jesus rose on the third day over Satan, sin, uh, conquering Satan and over sin and death, such that if you put your trust in that sacrificial lamb, you can share in the victory over death that he accomplishes. If all of that is true, then we get to live in light of that truth, and the Holy Spirit empowers us for that kind of living. We have about 200 people in the church right now going through a Titus study. And Titus is all about godly living in an ungodly world. It's not not about doing the right thing just for the sake of being moralistic, but living a transformed life as the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts. The Spirit will guide in truth. Now, John offers a closing encouragement. Verse 21 to 22. He's laid out all these things that the Holy Spirit's going to do. Jesus is leaving, but John wants them to know, just because I'm leaving doesn't mean you'll be, you're going to be left alone. Just because he's leaving doesn't mean you're going to be left alone. Power is coming. And it's not going to be a power you see, it's going to be a power within. And so he, he tells them this power is going to bear witness to you and through you. This, this power, this, the Holy Spirit is going to convict of sin. It's going to convict of self-righteousness. It's going to convict of judgment. And it's going to guide you in truth. Again, these are things that we need on a daily basis. And then Jesus closes this section out by talking about a woman in labor. Verse 21. When a woman is in labor, she is pain because her time has come. I've watched my wife give birth three times, all naturally. I can testify to the fact that yes, uh, it's, it's, it's not comfortable, all right? As a witness, plenty of women here could give you firsthand accounts. I was in the tub for the second one, it's interesting. I'll, I'll keep going before I get too distracted. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of a joy that a person has been born into the world. And, and you think about that moment Maybe you've, had a, you've never given birth. You have a friend who has, or, or maybe it, it, it's you, or you, just this idea of, and, and I've seen it three times, where you go through this ordeal for hours and hours and hours, and then the baby gets laid on the chest, and all of that doesn't matter because your child is here. Jesus is trying to point to the fact that suffering's gonna happen. The world is gonna be difficult. There's going to be birth pains, imagery that you get in Revelation. So you also have sorrow, but he goes on to say, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. It could be them seeing him after his resurrection, or them seeing him finally when he returns. But either way, our hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away our joy. Closing point in the way of application. As Christians, Jesus is really easy to wrap our minds around because through the text we can feel him, we can hear him, we can sense him, we can touch him as, as, as a person. Probably wouldn't want to smell him. He's a carpenter, first century, probably wouldn't smell that good. But we can wrap our minds around the physical person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not 
physical is nonetheless personal and powerful. The, new, the, the King James calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. Some of you may really like that language. For a lot of you, that's spooky. Pun intended. It's difficult. But this idea of spirit is the same word translated breath. It's the same word translated wind. And in John 20, it says that Jesus breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you were to go back into Ezekiel 37, you would see that God gave Ezekiel, a prophet, this vision of a valley of dry bones. And he says, prophesy breath. And, and the breath comes and life takes, takes on the bones and the bones, sinews and flesh and muscle and all that builds up the breath of God. You go back all the way to the garden at the very beginning of Genesis and, and what does God do to the dust? Breathes life into the dust. Again, if you're a naturalist or a, a that might kind of weird you out, but just think about it this way. When you die, you will breathe out and turn to dust. So it's kind of the opposite. But this idea of God's power, God's spirit, breathing, when it comes, it comes with life, but it's not just a force. It's not just an energy. It's a person. And that the Holy Spirit is both personal and powerful. So that as you go throughout your daily life, you can lean into the Holy Spirit and you can learn about Jesus. And Jesus, uh, we, are, we are in Christ as Christians, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we go through our daily life. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we encounter that friend who is really, really struggling. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we love that friend or that family member who is just acting despicably right now. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be patient with our kids who haven't given us a moment alone in days. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be compassionate to a coworker who perhaps has been manipulative or difficult. As we go through our day, as the counselor comes, that we get to live through not our power, but the Holy Spirit's power. And our job, a lot of the time, is to get out of the way. That the Holy Spirit would be the one doing the work. I realize that's a lot. There's a big chunk of text. So that's what I'm going to leave us for, leave us with. If we truly are the temple, and the Holy Spirit indwells, then as we go about our day, as we go about our week, as we live life with our family and our roommates, that we would get out of the way and let the Spirit work through us. Let's pray. Father, I couldn't imagine hearing the news that Jesus would be leaving. I couldn't imagine what I would have felt. But Lord, would you just help us to leave encouraged that we have within us your spirit. Help us to lean on the spirit, to move with the spirit, to surrender to the spirit, to listen to the spirit. If we need to be convicted of sin or self-righteousness, we ask that you would do that, that we can respond with surrender. Guide us in truth. Help us to testify to who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.